everyone. Welcome to the Age of AI podcast. On the show, we talk to entrepreneurs and innovators all over the planet. We're using machine learning to transform their industry. And we mean real-world applications, tangible business value, not just research projects. This podcast is produced by SoundCraft Transnational, which is a global education company helping non-technical entrepreneurs and executives become technically fluent. Thank you and hope you enjoy the episode. Hello everyone, welcome back. I'm your host Aman, CEO of Sandpram, and today we have a new special guest, Tobias Pohl, who is the founder and CEO of an interesting software company called Celus. Is that right? And Celus uh, uses machine learning to assist electronics engineers with designing circuits much faster. In you know, to in short, right? And so in this episode, we'll talk about first the state of the art in electronics engineering and why AI became a transformative part of the process you know, from a business perspective and also discuss Cellus as a company, right? And if you, my gentle listener, are not an electronics engineer, don't worry because we will make it such that you'll still be able to follow the episode and you know we'll give you an overview of how electronics engineering works at a high level. So you won't have any problems there. Thank you so much, Tobias, for joining us today. Thank you very much, Aman. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay, I have a confession to make. And I'm going to sound really stupid when I say this. I actually have a bachelor's degree in electronics and communication engineering. However, I hated it so much that to this day, I have no idea how that shit works. No, not kidding. You're absolutely not alone with that. Um, that that I, w- I would even argue that's a real problem that that industry has uh, as a whole, that a lot of uh, young people, either even a stage before you were in, yeah. uh, of I'm choosing what I'm studying, or even afterwards, uh, say, yeah, come on, that the, the tooling they use is literally 30 years old, <laughs> and uh, that entire market doesn't really change much, even though it's at the same time kind of cutting-edge technology, um, that you're absolutely not alone. That is very, very typical, I would even say, which is, uh, to be honest, also a bit, bit sad. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, that is quite common. Yeah, it, it when I was studying electronics, it quickly went from, I want to design the next iPad to... This is hell. Like, I'm just getting out of this industry <laughs> immediately. <laughs> right? Because it is. It is. To, to A big part of that is uh, unnecessary hassle and to some degree necessary hassle. Let's yeah. leave that also in there. Mm. Um, and it is to, to some degree hell and black magic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's actually a good, you know, a segue into the very first question, which, you know, which would help the audience. Like, from a high-level overview, right? Let's walk through the typical electronics engineering process, right? Uh, how do you go about from the idea, or maybe you don't even start with the idea; you start with something else, right? In your, from your perspective, mm-hmm. what is the process for electronics engineering today? I think if we start at the very beginning, I guess it makes sense to even give kind of a broader picture of yeah. what is actually the space we're talking about. Um, because we, we often say that electronics is uh, is kind of the hidden champion of technologies mm. um, because you can't live your life even 10 minutes without having anything to do with electronics. That's mm-hmm. went too close to impossible. 
every product with a button, with a cable, with a battery, all needs electronics from a very high complex server running um, complex software products to uh, the temperature control in a hairdryer shutting off at the right time. Um, that is that all is circling around the idea of how do I create electronics that basically connect um, the software world into the real life. Um, and that I would say starts with with the the idea and or basically you could say the goal of what it should do. Um, and a easy way of how to imagine that is thinking of electronics as a black box. Mm. You have something going in it. And it either does something or sends data out again. Um, it interacts with the environment. That's basically then the, the setting. Yeah. And um, with that idea alone, an engineer typically can't do much. Uh, so that yeah. gets enriched with the requirements, with specifications. Uh, you also quite often have, um, let's say, environment requirements like certifications um, in what temperature ranges, something needs to work. So a lot of requirements around what you need to build. Mm. And um, that is the typically done in tools. Like I would say the market leader in that space is Microsoft PowerPoint yeah. um, <laughs> of just basically describing in either flowchart or in text, and quite often it's blank text, um, what you're trying to build. Mm -hmm. And that is dumped on the table of the engineer. Mm -hmm. um, who then has to figure out how do you now, from a electronics component level, match with these requirements. Mm. So you as an engineer, you have certain experience in mind, you've done projects before, you know that the microcontroller X um, has certain features and can be used there. If you don't know one that fits, there is basically research and search processes and also some, let's say, search tools that, for example, component suppliers have mm -hmm. to find what, what solves that problem within a certain architecture. So mm -hmm. an engineer describes for being able to do that, I need a temperature sensor that gets processed with a microcontroller and sent out via Wi-Fi. Yeah. And to be able to do that, I need power supply A and power supply B and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, so the first stage starting from the idea, uh, so the story so far, you start with the idea that goes to the engineer, like, hey, this is the, the product that the high-level product that you want to build. And then mm -hmm. the engineer starts always with a high-level systems, you know, design where you have different components, uh, but they're still pretty high-level. They're still like, you know, fully done products in their own sense, like a Wi-Fi sensor. Uh, and, you know, you have this microcontroller power source and so forth. And you just playing with Legos in a way from, from yeah. an electronics point. Okay. So that's the story so far. And, okay. And a big part of that to, to note is um, you're playing in a world where there are literally hundreds of millions of Lego pieces. Wow. Um, and combining different of these pieces together is complicated. So you, they all, if you take the analogy of Lego again, they all have different knobs. You can uh, attach them to one another. And yeah. they also, um, influence each other. Mm. So, for example, let's make the, the easiest part for that would be a uh, on a component level, a individual resistor by itself does nothing. Yeah, It is basically like it 
it's a, a wire where electricity that doesn't flow as well as through blank copper. Yeah. Um, but multiple of them together can create a function, can do something, can change, for example, voltage if you talk about a voltage divider. Yeah. And that is where there is a lot of interconnection. And that makes that, let's say, piecing together Lego pretty complicated for the engineer. Mm. And you could even argue impossible to get to the perfect solution because the space of solutions is just too big. It will never, if there is limited time, which yeah. is always the case, um, it's impossible to find something perfect. Mm. And that is also a part of the design that um, is the most complex to do yeah. and takes quite a significant portion of the time and effort until you get to um, basically knowing what components you need um, and what the architecture is roughly of how to connect them together. Mm. And uh, then the a part in the design process starts that's called schematics engineering, okay. um, where you take these individual components. And mm -hmm. if you think of something like an iPad, you have thousands of components. If you're the temperature control in the hairdryer is probably at around 10. Mm -hmm. uh, but you always talk about many components and a schematics is basically the theoretical concept of how to connect them. Okay. Uh, so a microcontroller might have 20 different pins that go in and out and how you connect them to a capacitor, to a power supply that's done in schematics. Okay. And schematics are actually where real engineering decision-making and engineering know-how is done. So that is how you build circuits. That is what is basically the most valuable IP in the end. Mm. What comes after that is what is called layout design or layout engineering. Okay. That is if you basically take the schematics and yeah. want to bring them into reality. Okay. Um, in, in a schematics, a microcontroller is a rectangle box with like leads going out yeah um in reality a in and then in layout a microcontroller has the actual physical package that it's called I see. of how it is manufactured I see. and then you put them on a board and literally connect the actual traces that connect parts to form what can go into manufacturing mm -hmm. and uh, that is also called PCB design, printed mm -hmm. circuit board design, okay. where then components are soldered onto, and there you go, electronics done. Um, mm, obviously, it's not as streamlined as that, so you have iterations and you're going back and forth, um, but from an individual steps perspective of where you go, from idea to manufacturing, that's kind of what you have to walk through. I see. So to finish the summary, um, you start with the idea for a product, and then you mm -hmm. choose the lego pieces which what we'll call them right lego pieces to build that product and you know just like people do with legos you know if you're building a truck with legos there's so many different thousands millions of trucks that you could build from you know the thousands of lego pieces that the solution space is what you call it is huge right it's a very yeah. creative process it's not really like you plug in an equation and you get a circuit design by just deriving you know doing solving some math problem it's a very design-oriented, you know, uh, project for the first part, and then once you've chosen what components you're going to use, then you get to the schematic diagram, which you said uh, mm -hmm. is more of the conceptual 
diagram on a on a computer screen or on paper you know where you just kind of conceptually seeing how these things will fit together so you're kind of designing the circuit on paper mm-hmm. and then once you've designed on paper you design it for the purpose of manufacturing like so exactly where these wires will go where this you know how they will be fit on in a physical space on the circuit board right so it can be manufactured easily that's exactly. the pcb design that's the uh, printed circuit board design yes. and uh, then you go into the fabrication or the you know the actual manufacturing that's the last part right exactly okay so this is the process and like you said there's a lot of iteration that goes on but you know just to get a little more texture on that what we talked about is of course the ideal process right of how things are supposed to be done but you know as engineers we we are known for finding the the dirtiest shortcuts and the best way to hack things together and get things done quickly as possible to hit deadlines in the real world how do how do our fellow engineers bastardize this process or not and what's the in practice how do they do what version of this process is what you see in the in companies or is that the same thing um what it in i would say in reality it gets a bit more complicated as soon as there are multiple people involved mm. um that's where it for example gets split up into different expertises so for example um on these individual let's say sub functions you can have individual people working on them yeah. um or what is very very typical is that layout is done by someone else and schematics is Mm. uh often often called they are like the schematics designer and comp- the one who selects the architecture and components is the actual hardware engineer or yeah. called hardware engineer the other is pcb layouter um and that's a very typical separation um and shortcuts come mostly out of experience yeah so uh, you can design everything from scratch and look into each and every uh component data sheet and look at the reference design of the manufacturer um but if you do that for everything you're not going to finish anytime soon yeah and um that's where experience comes in to basically know what shortcuts to take um and that can be very different and a typical project is a mix of all of them so you have some parts in it where you need to go into the data sheet and need to do your calculations and need to basically follow the application details or application notes also of manufacturers and there are areas where every engineer goes like yeah whatever i i know how that works we just do yeah. it um and then comes testing and finding out what you didn't know um mm-hmm. and with that moving forward as um as fast as as they can uh, mm-hmm. and a big part there is also what is called first time right um which no one ever achieves but trying to get to a working solution as fast as possible mm. um to then optimize and iterate from something that works mm. and not trying to optimize something you don't even know whether it will work and will ha- have basically the functionality that you need i see so what you mean is that um a lot of experimentation and iteration people can do either on paper like they conceptually see like okay conceptually this would work this way so let me try a new design and then see again concept theoretically how it should work so you're theoretically experimenting a lot versus if you just go ahead and build something and see how it actually works in real life yeah. so you kind of build go through the the whole cycle several times instead of going through only the first few steps 
several times. Uh, that's kind of a, yeah, exactly. how it could potentially vary in different situations. And the other thing you mentioned previous uh, earlier was a lot of the shortcuts are basically done because the engineer has strong intuition based on their previous experience about how to solve a certain problem. Is that also, the, is it, but that sounds like a double-edged sword. Like, and as engineers, like often we know how to do something and we just stick to that way because it's just quicker, but we, but they, they, they can, they can also be a better solution that we don't even think to stop to consider uh, until we see somebody else doing the same, do, doing it. Right. So there's also Absolutely. like kind of a myopic, narrow minded, focus there the more experience you get the more rigid you become as an engineer right absolutely absolutely and it actually goes in in many different ways um if you already worked with components and have seen that they work and that that functionality works um the chance is high that that was years ago maybe Mm. um but technology changes and uh also semiconductor life cycle gets shorter and shorter and shorter and let's say you were working on a microcontroller before that was manufactured on 70 nanometers and uh, had a like certain capabilities. It is quite likely that the same one will work again and it might even be available, but it also can be that there is just a, a newer one around the block who can do the very same with a lot lower costs yeah. uh, or actually performs better. And you will never find out because no one checked. Yeah. Um, the other one is actually equally dangerous, and that is engineers, especially with a lot of experience, and that is also true for my, myself sometimes, yeah. tend to um, have that, that perception of um, not done by me, not engineered by me, better not use it. Um, oh. And that is especially in larger organizations and larger companies a real problem. If someone actually did the job, and actually found out that that circuit works and it went to production and it is out there in the world and it works. And you have a new project with a new engineer working on and they find, oh, my colleague already did that. Ah, I better optimize what he did or I ah, better change what he did. I know better. Mm-hmm. And um, then your iteration loop starts and yeah. they already had all of that. And uh, that's, a, that's wasteful in the end. Yeah. And very common. Mm, I see what you mean. And actually, to be honest, I think every every engineer can relate to that at least a tiny bit. Um, that is how how it often often feels if you're especially more experienced and at least have the feeling that you know what you're doing. Yeah, I think I think the best engineers, you know, are you know naturally nerds and they like doing things their own way. You know, there's that nerd ego, right, which we have. Yeah. Where we like to improve on other people's stuff, and of course, if anybody's an electronics engineer, he's definitely a nerd, right? Like, if you're if you're not a hardcore engineer, you don't get into electronics at all. So <laughs> you can pretty much be sure that they're all improving on each other's work, right? Yeah, um, exactly. So, and sometimes for the good, and sometimes not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. And so, so, so now that we have this really good picture, this really good context. What let's talk about the effort and time involved in this process and where does machine learning really deliver value, right? What is the value in automating different parts of this value chain? Mm-hmm. So if you if you think about usual time spans of these projects, okay, um, that obviously varies a lot depending on the complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can have 
uh, a project that is done by one engineer alone within two months. And there can be projects like, like your example of the iPad uh, that is done by hundreds of engineers over a year. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, let's say, complexity influences a lot the time spent. And uh, it goes down to a couple of weeks, but no one can tell me they can create any hardware product within a day. You can't even test that fast. That is impossible. Um, and that is where the basically the time spent mm -hmm. is a real problem. You always talk about longer periods of times and a usual project takes, let's say, two months. Let's take, take one example out of, out of it. Yeah. And um, we, what we described before, there are basically two different sets of tasks that engineers do if we dis, uh, separate them into the yeah. easiest categories. One of them would be um, basically checking, checking data, checking compatibility, um, finding a, a, basically a pattern within an existing solution from a manufacturer, for example, or from existing projects that you have. Um, there is the, I have to calculate that and then just type in the correct number. Mm. Um, and all of that is, let's call it fully rule-based where the rules are quite straightforward and understandable. Mm -hmm. There is the other ca uh, category, which is, let's call it the creativity part. Um, really working on something that no one ever did before. There was no one before using that component in a circuit like this to create that function. Yeah. Um, and if you talk about where where to apply uh, machine learning, or actually let's call it automation and uh, artificial intelligence as a whole. Yeah. Um, the second bucket, the creativity bucket. I'm sure there are possibilities to make that faster, make that better, make that easier. But that is not the low-hanging fruit. That is awfully complex stuff. Mm. Um, and there is very little you can lean on to. And the other part of the design process, uh, if you're, for example, thinking of an engineer checking what voltage levels a component supports yeah. in a data sheet, you're looking yeah. at a big table with a lot of numbers. That is nothing that, to my mind, an engineer should really do. And to be honest, I don't know a single engineer who likes doing that. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's why, and that's also where, where we focus ourselves as a company, um, going from a existing solution, existing components, an existing database to a recombination of what has already been done before. Um, that is where opportunity lies to really change something and where we focus. If you're looking into a, um, something brand new no one ever did before, that is, first of all, uh, an opportunity for where it makes sense that engineers spend their time. Mm -hmm. And now where reality comes in, all projects are a mix of both. Yeah. And that is where what we're really doing is not automating all of electronics engineering and engineers can go home tomorrow and we say, we want this and we automate the result. It's mm -hmm. a hybrid solution yeah. of engineers being assisted. Mm-hmm basically by by software solutions by um by, by automated decision making let's call yeah. it like that maybe. Mm -hmm. um and still may take take their own responsibility still own their design mm. 
And um, that is basically a, a always a mix of many worlds together. Mm. So let me let me understand this correctly because this is you know this is a uh, this has a lot of texture, right? So you mm -hmm. said that there's two types of tasks that an engineer is typically doing, which can be automated, right? Or uh, one is the the menial stuff, which you decide define as, for example, looking up data sheets, you know, going through a checklist of you know rules to see if something is working well or not. Um, and that's you know that's one thing that that and a software should do for you, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you shouldn't have to spend time doing stuff besides just actually making decisions about the mm -hmm. circuit, right? And the other one is the actual decision making, right? Where mm -hmm. you have the information, you have the rules, you have the software helping you. Now you, you know, use your creativity to check out new components or find new components or put them together in a unique way use a component in a different way for a given circuit to achieve uh, the same result or stuff like that, right? And that requires you to have, like we said, a lot more knowledge of all the different components that could be applicable to a given and, circuit. And if you, if we maybe take an example of a different industry, um, yeah. if we, we really take what we are doing to the extreme, in the software world that already exists. So for example, a website builder yeah. is someone without a clue about software necessarily, mm -hmm. designs and describes what they want their website to look like. Yeah. And software running in the background creates out of that the actual website. And in the end, machine code running over servers. But not a single person on the planet would now decide, hey, let's write an entire website in low-level code. Um, that just doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah. And um, in, in, in electronics, that is still the case. You do everything on the lowest possible level. And uh, if you look into the, the website case, yeah. the, web, the, the best website builder on the planet can't tell you what you want and yeah. can't tell you how it should look like. Yeah. That is the creative part that, to, to our mind, humans are the best fit to and yeah. can actually really make a difference. Mm -hmm. Implementing that, 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 can be, that can be automation's problem. Yeah, yeah. So, so in a sense, to, you know, if I understand correctly, what you're talking about is that defining the requirements that you want the circuit to achieve, that you want the circuit to look a certain way or whatever, cannot be automated. That's the creative part of what do I want, right? What do, what does, do I want as an engineer? Um, I, would be, I would be careful, maybe, sorry if I, if I jump in there, I would be careful with saying cannot be because we've seen oh, yeah. that yeah. Uh, you, you can build um, machine learning models that actually create music. Mm, um, yeah. That actually yeah. sounds nice. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. so that does, does course, exist. But it's not where we see ourselves as a company, for example. I see, I see. Yeah, you, you see yourself as, you know, uh, once you have the requirements, then getting the fastest, getting you to, to a, a circuit design that can, then can, that can fulfill those requirements in the fastest way possible. Absolutely. I see. Exactly. Um, and so when we talk about machine learning, Right, mm -hmm. more specifically. So we talked about AI automation, whatever you call it, whatever software you use, right? And there's like mm -hmm. so many 
there's like 30, 30, like we said, 30, 40 years of people using software to design electronic circuits, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of those, that software, you know, has a lot of these lookup tables and whatnot where you can just find uh, components and plug them in and see if you can do simulations where you run it with different voltages and the circuit, it will tell you if the circuit is breaking somewhere or not, right? You can run, you can send signals through a circuit to see how it would respond to different inputs if everything works fine. Right. How does machine learning fit into this? How does machine learning upgrade this picture? Mm-hmm. Um, that is, let's say, for that we now need to go quite a level deeper. Okay. Because to my mind, saying that you address that entire topic from left to right with um, machine learning models doesn't make much sense. Sure. So it's a way bigger mix of different technologies yeah. where they fit best. Mm. Um, so for example, um, the entire selection and decision-making process is um, for your component selection and your first circuit design. Um, for the way how we have built it is a deterministic process following clear defined rules. There is no machine learning in that at all. Okay. And that is for a reason, because um, engineers need to be able to um, basically reproduce similar results for similar problems again, and only adapt if the environment conditions changes. Where the picture looks very, very different is, for example, if you want to recognize um, how circuits in the past were solving a problem and how that is similar to Mm. what you're doing now. Because that, for example, is something that is not binary, true or false, that there you're getting into similarities and into what are basically human human design decisions and our our software trying to understand that. Uh, I I can make one, one actually good example if you into our software, import one of these functional modules that uh, an engineer called one signal in there. Um, let's let's say I two C seven. That is just for a like computer would be a random f- set of characters and numbers. Yeah. Um, an engineer looking at that would read, oh, it's an I square C, which is a bus signal in, in electronics. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh, whatever that seven does there, it's probably in his big design was, I don't know, number seven. Yeah. Um, and what we need to recognize is even if someone had a typo, even if someone had kind of a weird name of calling it, uh, recognizing what they actually meant. And mm-hmm. that is where... Um, machine learning is actually a good fit because then we are by nature talking about probabilities. We're by nature talking about what is the most likely thought that the engineer had when creating that. Mm-hmm. And um, if we find a result that this was with a 99.5% chance I, I square C bus, we're good. Because then we can basically show that to an engineer. Remember, we're working as a, a hybrid team Mm-hmm. Um, and the chance of our decisions decision being correct is high enough for them to actually save a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, another one would be if you, I don't know, for example, 
And that's where I say there are, like, I can now talk about for, for like hours about different subsets where there are opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, one other co- uh, case would, for example, be how you position different components on a circ- on a actual circuit board mm-hmm. in the end in layouting. Um, the solution space is just too big to be able to be processed. Ah, yeah. So if you iterate over all different solutions, um, it just would, it is possible, I would argue, uh, but it would take too long and too many compute resources. And that's where in that optimization problem, guessing uh, start parameters, guessing um, what is most likely to create the best result in the fast, in the fastest way possible is a input to the classical optimization solvers hmm. to reduce the overall time being spent on, on that optimization problem. So we're basically guessing good arrangements. Um, and that's actually very comparable to what engineers also do. Engineers also can't play around with their positioning for a year. Yeah, uh, They have a certain feeling, ah, probably I should put the microcontroller in the center because there is a lot of connections to it and basically guess mm. and then wiggle it around and change a bit and with that come to a, a combined combined solution that is not necessarily the global optimum yeah um, because you won't find that if you don't test everything yeah uh, but that is a local optimum or good enough um, mm. and that is very key here uh, when it goes into the final stages, of the problem. There's also a very important decision to make on where to stop. Where to um, stop? Yeah. Okay. Because do you, if you want to work on the, on automated engineering until it's perfect, you're probably working a lot on that last 1% that brings only 1% of the value, but is absurd amounts of work mm. and not really helping anyone with it. Um, and there is a time where it makes sense to say, Hey, engineer, take over. I now have a very good guess of how that would look like. Yeah. Do the final touches, do your magic, your job now. Um, and basically bringing them not from two weeks of work down to zero, yeah. but from two weeks of work down to literally like an hour. It can be that that one last hour that they're changing something is super valuable. Yeah. And um, that is key basically around everything we do. It's all about finding um where is the time of the engineer spent most valuable yeah and the rest we want to get rid of that makes sense so so let me try to summarize this the way i understand you know uh what you said the first one you said is that when you're actually designing the circuit the schematic design right when you're doing Mm -hmm. the schematic design of the circuit and choosing components and whatnot you can benefit from a model that has looked at given a certain set of requirements, thousands of circuits, which my, which are similar to the, which are, which have similar requirements to the ones that you have, right? So if a machine learning system looks at your requirements and then that machine learning model has already looked at thousands of requirements and the circuits that the engineers designed for those requirements, it can suggest to you certain things that you know make make it faster like you it could suggest you hey this is a proposed a proposition for something that you could use you could do here so that was the first one you you mentioned is that is that accurate or do you want to add yes yes that's that's perfectly accurate 
and that is you could even put that into the bucket of uh, structuring a database yeah um before even starting the engineering process yeah so it gives you it gives you it's like an assisted driver right it helps you by because it, it's already an expert on thousands of you know circuits so it can tell you like hey you know to save your time here's this idea here's this other idea consider these right so that's one and then the next one was once you have the schematic design translating that into a printed circuit board design translated that into a layout mm-hmm. is again a creative again a creative or an artistic process where it's also a craft right it's also a craft minute process where it comes with experience right mm-hmm. to design a circuit given that there's like there's like so many factors that influence how you design a circuit right how compact the device will be or how much you want the circuit to be able to reuse or you know upgrade with time the same you know product or whatever right there's all these business um decision making around mm-hmm. how that design will be used in the product right uh, yes. how often it's going to be repaired how often it's going to be maintained there's all these different factors right is somebody going to open up the circuit and have to play around like there's all these uh, different factors so there's so you so you're saying that machine learning can also help with coming up with uh, you know a lot of propositions for those designs that's the second is that accurate yes with the basically the idea not being um you have a lot of guesses of what a possible design would be with then showing the engineer a list of a thousand different options because that would be overwhelming yeah, again. That's, that's overwhelming. Um, it is basically about creating different um, options that can be compared to one another with actual facts. So for example, density of the design, what mm. composition of co- like, or what component position actually creates the highest density designs. Mm-hmm. Um, I see. Another another factor to note because you were mentioning a lot of different requirements that you can have in 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 that area, um, and that is where it's just maybe an opportunity to highlight that point of where do you stop again? Uh, you can't do it all. Yeah. Um, and there is there is value in the engineer being the one doing the the last mile. Yeah. Um, because there is a lot of these requirements that just go too far. Mm-hmm. And then it pick your battles. Also, from us as a as a startup perspective, yeah. um, limited resources is probably the number one constraint in every meeting. Yeah, and um, you have to pick your battles of what 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 needs to work at what point of time. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, it's like uh, there's all there's all this trade off that you have to deal with when you're designing a system, at designing uh, making an engineering design, and at some at some point you have to call it a call it a day you have to draw the line and say okay we're done optimizing we can never have a perfect solution so let's yeah. just end right here uh, and for that for that part of the process where you see the value of machine learning is in saying that okay uh given all the thousands of ways you could lay out the circuit here are some ways you could sort them or you know group them or categorize solutions or pick different like for example if you want higher density you can you know sort all the different design suggestions by density and you can look at them for reference for inspiration or you can you know like again it's like sorting or grouping by you know different factors that using machine learning can help with is that is that what you're saying 
partially yes mm. we are, we go a step further than that and then oh, actually okay. taking the decision i we, see what you mean our, our our software takes that is outside of machine learning so that yeah. is yeah. classical algorithms um but it's within our our software we actually take the decision of how it should be um, or what our our suggestion to the engineers how it should be Uh, since we, in the end, give uh, all possibilities to change everything back to the engineer, they can modify whatever they feel like. Um, but we come up with an actual working solution at the press of, uh, press of a button. So you mm -hmm. click run and you get a circuit board that works. Mm. Um, and that follows within the what we call compilation, um, a process that you described. Um, but the the engineer, the user, actually gets a result, like mm. a real working result. I see. I see what you mean. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, so uh, when you talk about machine learning specifically and uh, which part, of course, we don't want to go into too much detail of what exactly, you know, where exactly you're using. But uh, on a high level, these are two places where you use machine and What kind of models are these? Are these like, you know, uh, to give a little bit of overview for any machine learning engineers who are listening to this, what are the like the inputs and outputs uh, at a high level of these models and uh, what does it take to train them, really? Um, so there are, that, that, is, that is a huge topic. Where do you actually get the data? Um, yeah. Because that is, that is, I would argue the more complex part. The model yeah. is in uh, relationship to where the data Absolutely. comes from. The model is the easier one. Yeah. Um, might, maybe maybe some people would uh, here here would be upset if I say that, but <laughs> that's kind of how it is. Um, and the to some the, the to some degree the opportunity to another degree the problem in our industry is that there. It is a very closed industry with a lot of also existing ECA tools building fences around them yeah. and having walls separating their environments, not making it easy to look into existing solutions. Um, and not a, not there are communities like Arduinos, Raspberry Pis, where you find also open source hardware designs that you can use as data. Yeah. Um, but that's fairly little. Mm. Um, in comparison to, I don't know, uh, using machine learning to categorize what pictures show cats. Yeah. There are, there are a lot of pictures of cats on the internet. Um, and uh, that's not, not our case. And that is where we actually try very hard to, one on one side, you have models that use as, or are good enough with as little of the data as possible. Yeah. And have, Uh, for example, if you look into, we use existing circuits or schematics designs from these open source projects, um, have them with some mixture of, of algorithm to actual human work labeled and recognize that or recognize patterns based on that. Yeah. Uh, another one that is a, also a double-sided sword because it has a big downside and a big upside is for positioning, for example, what we had is creating, like basically letting our compiler run forever and creating tens of thousands of options. Mm. And with that, basically have huge amounts of different circuits being created. And then out of these, recognize what you can do to basically, or what, the ones that are most optimal out of those, what do they have in common? Mm. And 
I say that is a double-sided sword because of, of two reasons. One is you have a, one big advantage is you have a lot of data very easily. Um, and the problem though is your data is biased, so to say. Yeah. Uh, because the data was created following a certain way. So yeah. it, the chance of you analyzing that certain way is high. Mm. Um, and that's where that will never, to be honest, will never come up with a very original new solution. Uh, but it will come up with a way of how not to create 10,000 designs, but get to a similar optimal solution in less time. Um, and there it's kind of a, a broader mix again of what do you use where. Um, there is not a single one-size-fits-all solution in any of those problems. Yeah. It's a very specific subsets. And um, if we also speak from our software, it's in reality like thousands of different individual parts. Um, and you need all of them. And machine learning is the right choice of technology for some. Yeah, actually, for, for for quite for quite a few, but absolutely not for all of them. That makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, I think that you know a technology is a tool and it can be used for certain things, but it's not. There's no you know silver bullet in engineering. You know, whether you're building software or hardware or whatever. Uh, and you know, to summarize what you said about the data for anybody uh, who's listening. Basically, there's two options. One, you get data from people or you use synthetic data. So you generate your own data set. Yep. And the problem with synthetic data, as you know, as Tobias mentioned, is that since you are writing an algorithm to generate that data, all that data is biased because of the algorithm you write. So you don't Absolutely. have the level of variance that you could get uh, from naturally occurring, like, naturally occurring like people actually making circuits themselves which is very expensive to get and like you said you know given that electronics industry as by nature is very ip oriented very patent oriented and very you know trade secrets like oh our gadget has certain designs that we don't want anybody to copy kind of an industry right you don't want people copying your designs your circuit designs you want to keep it because hardware is just so like once you have a hardware product out and this happens in, in China, in certain places all the time, where once you release a hardware product, within a year, you have like copycats, right? People building the same exact thing and putting it on Amazon and competing with you with a lower price tag. Uh, so hardware, by definition, is very hard because it's so... As soon as somebody copies your design, a lot of the hard work that you've done in crafting the right product and the right... Uh, you know, spending so much time thinking about requirements and whatnot goes down the drain, right? All your effort goes down the drain. So I can see why it's hard to find open source data, which can actually satisfy, like, you know, uh, the machine learning part of the uh, the process. And a lot of it is also, fr uh, let's call it frozen into PDFs or non-machine readable documents. That's also another area where you have quite a lot of opportunities um, to... But basically make that data that is out there even usable. Mm, um, yep. That is uh, probably even a bigger problem than finding it um, because there is, which is to, to some degree absurd. Uh, even component manufacturers do that. They have, they have all information in a digital format. These engineers don't sit in front of a piece of paper and draw it. They use ECAT tools. 
and then they let's say dumb it down into a pdf with mm -hmm. no structure no nothing and then uh, we or an, uh, we either automatically or an engineer manually needs to smarten that up again mm -hmm. into machine readable documents and um that is that that is where a lot of data is is hidden basically or can't be really used and can't be really accessed um without a lot of without a lot of effort and a lot of uh, work that has to go into it either manually or ideally automatically mm. um but it is not there is there are treasures to be found uh that don't lie on the surface mm. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. So how did your, I mean, given that, you know, all, of course, not, like you said, not the whole, your whole software is not completely dependent on machine learning for mm -hmm. to work, right? So I'm curious, mm -hmm. how did your company or you and your product evolve? Like, what was the start? How do you get started? How do you get to your first working valuable solution with such limited, you know, source of data? How, what what was the the brief story of the journey mm -hmm. so far? The very first version uh, of of our software that actually created a a circuit board that works was around twenty eighteen. Okay. Um, so in 20, 2018, we had the we for the first time, um, and as far as I know, that should have been the first time worldwide anyone ever created a circuit board fully automated. Wow. Um, and where you basically describe, I want to get that, and you get a circuit board that does that and actually works. Um, that was in around like mid of 2018. Um, and that was for us a big jump forward because basically everything before was, oh, these crazy guys have a weird idea, but that's not going to work and let's mm -hmm. just ignore them. Um, and that was for us a big, a big jump. Even though I have to say, nothing of that software is still is still in production and still is is being oh. used. Um, so actually, all of that in the meantime got reworked, got uh, optimized, got completely replaced to, uh, in, in in a lot of areas. And um, we always started to look at that, or we always looked at that process on a very holistic level of going from end to end and this basically make the decisions for engineers in an automated manner from start to finish. I would say the biggest evolution we had, though, was to find um, within the process the sweet spots where you can get the most value with the resources that we have. And we pushed that a lot to the beginning of the process. So in architecture, selection, schematics design. That's where, where we are really, really good. Mm. Um, and in layout, for example, in the end, it kind of goes further down. That is that we, I, from everything I've seen so far, I would argue that we're still either the best or one of the best. Um, but that is less of a priority um, because that is also where engineers, best, that's always fancy because it's nice, colorful pictures. Um, yeah. But that is also where engineers spend less time. Um, and we we want to solve basically you can can sum it up as we want to uh, save the most engineering hours with the uh, resources that we have available um and there are there are basically parts in the process that we emphasized and parts of the process that we let's say had lower priority on mm -hmm. um and a big topic for us right now is is, is data um 
where do you get more data from where do you get also or how, how can you also enrich let's say multiple pieces of less valuable data into bigger chunks that actually have a function and actually work mm. um that is where we two years ago had <laughs> literally nothing um and now actually have quite quite significant progress and quite a lot of uh partners in in the end who mm. uh who help us with that and uh, that was that was key for us especially in the past year i would say mm. so so it took so you, so your first version of the product that actually you know spit out a, a working design did not use machine learning yes i would uh, i think there was absolutely zero machine learning in mm. that version back then i see so just by just by doing you know traditional like programming through for lack of a better word you yeah. could still you could still innovate in the in this in the space for electronics circuit design software even though that industry has been around for like 30 years right there's like so Absolutely. many software packages so you still found a non machine learning upgrade to existing solution that is really interesting that is really and i would argue you will find 100 more like that um so we are covering a huge chunk of the process uh and building that that end to end solution yeah. but after us and before us and kind of on the on the side there are many more opportunities uh, like uh, for example uh, in a process that follows us in basically how to go from finished engineering to actual manufacturing yeah um th that process is also incredibly manual and email sending back and forth and uh there is a big opportunity for software tools that we don't even touch like not not our uh, work yeah um where you i would argue you can actually get a, get quite a lot of value out of to to some degree less less intelligent tooling mm. um and the entire industry i would say has a lot of opportunity for more solutions that are even sometimes not that complex because that is a industry where that is around for decades where software tools yeah. are around for decades but the software tools didn't change that much and the if you and that is simply the nature of of change mm. a lot of change needs to come with young and new companies and if you uh, think about how many startups operate in electronics engineering or in the electronics industry it's just not that many yeah even though that industry is gigantic that industry is yeah. bigger than the entire mobility space mm. and um or also software development there are thousands and thousands of tools for for software developers and electronics engineering is just like a green empty field with a million different opportunities mm. um where where we are taking a big one but we're for sure not taking all of them and for sure not all of them require machine learning that's really fascinating because you know, sometimes it just goes back to saying you know um i mean so before i so 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 there's multiple things going on in my head right now right the first thing is like it's so cool that yeah it's it's also very intuitive but at the same time counterintuitive sometimes you just need somebody who has the intention to improve on stuff and that's enough to find opportunities to upgrade what's already been done right nobody just stop to Absolutely. ask why is this still shitty why is the software still shitty and some people like were like you know what i'm just going to build something better and that's how you innovate right and other people just accept what's already there because most people don't have the combined knowledge of you know skill set of electronics and 
software engineering and machine learning, right? Because you need the right team as well to bring this a product like this together. The other question that's in my mind is the big companies, right? The large Apples, let's say, of the world, the Dells of the world, the Sonys of the world, Samsungs of the world. Mm-hmm. Do you do you do you think that they have their own proprietary tools internally to help them with uh, those designs, and they would never be a buyer? of uh for like what are the sales processes like who are your target customer segments mm-hmm. um so for 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 the last one yeah our software is built in a way that is completely um vertical agnostic and industry agnostic yeah so sure. for us uh, let's say an iot product is an equally good fit as a medical device from my yeah technology perspective yeah it's electronics you know you're, a, just, you're at the lowest level you know the industry yeah. doesn't even matter yeah for a sales perspective that does make a gigantic difference and there are ones that fit a lot better iot mm-hmm. and ones that fit less medical devices for example okay. not at all because of the electronics but because of decision making cycles because of like a million different things yeah um when it you look not into industries but into let's say company sizes for example um we come uh, quite a lot out of the let's say uh, of the enterprise space focusing a lot on really big companies um and that is till this day the vast majority of where our revenue comes from Mm. is very large enterprises Mm -hmm. and um there is there is something cool for the smaller ones coming up very soon that I can't talk about too much. Okay, uh, we're gonna have a um, optimized solution for non-enterprise customers uh, beginning of next year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be really really cool where you can get very far um, without the entire big enterprise process behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but for, for us, so if you think of a company like Apple, yeah, uh, might not be an or for sure won't be a easy sales process. For sure, won't be a quick decision. But that is a fit. Yeah. So what they what how they create electronics is um, the, we we support big portions of the tools that they use. We have connections to that. Um, the the basically the decisions or in the engineering process fits the way how we see en- our, uh, the engineering process. Um, la- very large companies quite often have specialized tools for subsets of what they're doing. Uh, so something that is, for example, very classic, and I'm sure that a company like Apple has that, is a very custom way of how to structure database, how to um, share know-how within the company. I'm, I'm sure there is a lot about that. They don't don't start from mm-hmm. scratch every time. That's quite mm-hmm. unlikely, I would say. Um, but uh, the ba- basically building a software really going as or stretching their legs as far as we do, I am quite confident to say that that will probably never come out of these companies mm-hmm. because um, f- first of all, it so far didn't happen. Uh, there are yeah. also the typically ECAT tool companies. They are huge. Yeah. Autodesk, for example. Oops, I didn't. Um, <laughs> and uh, they, they are also, they have, basically, they, they have resources to do more stuff. Yeah. Um, 
at the same time there the, the these the direction that they are going it's not like that is going away that i would would also name autodesk not as a competitor of ours they're yeah. more like a partner of ours mm-hmm. um a p- potential one um so that makes sense to have the connection to their tooling i was always uh highlighting that it's important that the engineer can still make their decisions yeah and that just quite often happens there um mm-hmm. And that's simply where all, all together, um, there are multiple different parties involved, multiple different opportunities for solutions and large companies might have some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, let's say, overarching approach of, of engineering automation, I never came across in any of them. That doesn't mean that that doesn't exist. I for sure don't, don't even know a significant portion of all companies out there, but um, we've—I at least can't can't name anyone doing that. I see that is that is interesting uh, because you know it really affects the strategy, the strategy and the product roadmap for the company. You know, depend the sales process. You know, like in any company, right? The, the way you sell and market the product affects what you're going to build and how you're going to keep building. Yeah. But you're saying that you're saying that. Yeah, naturally, if it didn't happen for so many years, um, it's likely that the big companies, you know, will not be investing in the same kind of tooling that they can buy. So the build versus buy uh, dilemma for your kind of tooling, you're, you're, you're saying that, you know, it's not that big of a deal because you're already having customers who are really large um, and who are paying for the software, right? Yes. Yeah, makes sense. And for uh, and it's just, but that I think is the same for a lot of software startups. Yeah. Um, the basically te- the, the technological jump you do in, in comparison to state of the art uh, must be too big for someone to easier do it themselves in comparison to buy your 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 tool. Yeah. Um, and that's the that's the entire magic of software tools altogether because it is you're always winning in that game. Um, because you build software with a lot of effort and a lot of cost um, yeah. that then many can use. And with that, you're always winning, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that you always get it right. But that me- means that in comparison to um, companies trying to solve every problem themselves without relying on anyone else, um, as soon as you solve problems for many at once, you have a strategic advantage always. Yeah. When did you when did you get your first paying customer? Our very oh, where did we actually get them? When when did you get them? Like what what uh, stage of the company? Yeah. It was twenty eighteen. That was right in the beginning. Um, ah, we had uh, we actually invoiced the very first invoice on the day the company was officially registering in commercial register. Um, wow. yeah. So we started that actually before even even the company. Um, it was not in the sense of them paying for the actual software tool that they're using. It was more like them paying for the experience that the software tool would give them. Mm. Um, and we were, let's call it monkey in the box, um, yeah. this this basically faking the experience. Um, but that was first first paying customer on basically first day. Wow. 
That's interesting. That's also interesting. Uh, you know, it's similar to my my experience because I did not start my company until I already had a paying customer, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is a good way to go about certain things when you don't have you don't you don't want to spoil yourself with a lot of uh, VC money or something. You just want to take things, you know, slow in a way. Uh, although we don't have time period to get into the fundraising philosophy that you had uh, for for sales. Uh, but thank you so much, Tobias, for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us and being so open to share. And I know that, you know, for anybody from any industry who has even the, uh, the remotest interest in electronics or how it's doing, I think this is going to be a very uh, educational episode for them. And I thank you so much again for being with us. Thank you very much, Aman, for having me. It was really, really fun and uh, love to share about what, what we're doing and hope that that actually can also change some of the electronics engineers' mind to actually stick to that industry yeah. and not <laughs> run away from it. Um, uh, there, there is, it will get more, more fun very soon for all of them. <laughs> <laughs>